Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. It's time for Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 219 for October 22nd, 2009. Browser scripting. Security Now is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Picture yourself on a phone call sharing and explaining something visual with GoToMeeting. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers all things security-oriented. And Mr. Steve Gibson is here once again to terrify us. <laughs> with the bad news about security. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Hey, Leo, it's great to be with you again, as always. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we uh, we have a little programming change, don't we? We have a little programming glitch. Um, uh, yes. Uh, as our listeners know, we had a, we had talked about for the last couple of weeks uh, that we were going to have a, a, a rare guest appearance from John Graham Cumming, who... You have known for years, and and I have known. He's been a participant in the GRC news groups. Um, we've referred to him recently a number of times because he recently wrote uh, the Geek Atlas, which is that terrific book that talks about 128 different locations um, all around the world where things of interest to geeks occurred. Well, um, he, on September 27th, he created a blog posting, which he sent me a link to, because um, he had just finished giving a presentation at the Virus Bulletin 2009 conference, where uh, his presentation was titled "JavaScript Security," and of course now I, you know, I think of that as the oxymoron that to, you know to, to equal military intelligence <laughs> is to say JavaScript security. Anyway, it was titled "JavaScript Security: The Elephant Running in Your Browser." And so I was excited to have him join us this week to give us all the gory details, I mean, in detail about what's, I mean, fundamentally, what are the problems with JavaScript relating to the security of web things? Um, unfortunately, I got mail from him shortly before we began recording saying that um, that he, he was just returning to the U.K. He was actually here in the States yesterday. Just returning to the U.K., he learned just then of a death in his family. So he said, I, you know, I can't do the podcast. And I yeah. wrote back immediately. I said, well, of course not. Yeah. So I, I, if he's around and his schedule permits in a couple of weeks, I hope to have him do that. However, there's, there's, a, there's a, a broader sort of overview that I wanted to, to give, I actually have a, a good friend of mine who's an ex-Microsofty um, who was involved in the security model for uh, the recent versions of IE, and we had some interchange about this topic, um, which was, you know, well, he, you know, uh, Lauren was arguing, wait a minute, you know, is this really JavaScript's fault? Isn't this something bigger? And so I want to talk about with you, Leo, this bigger idea that is you know what's going on in general with this so-called web wherever we are 2.0 2.1 moving forward you know are is this ready for prime time you know how is this this model of the way servers and browsers are interacting today um how is it letting us down from a security standpoint so we've got a lot to talk about and then we'll still have john to come in and talk at the at the javascript level about this idea yeah that's going to be very very interesting he's a programmer he writes a, a anti really excellent anti-spam uh program well he's done that he's he uh he did an implementation actually of the perfect paper password oh, system oh, that's in, neat. yeah um and he and he's you know i mean he's a coder um and and a great guy so yeah we will have him uh hopefully week after next if his schedule permits but uh he had to drop out of this one Fine, fine. But we've got lots of news in errata and uh, and still some stuff to talk about. Good. Well, uh, what do you want to do? You want to start with the errata? Sure. Um, first of all, uh, 
I this may not quite be ready for prime time because it didn't work for me. But we've spoken recently of Mozilla's move to begin taking responsibility for the state of plugins in the Firefox browser. Right. And we know that that the first thing they did was they began warning people of a persistent problem that Adobe has been having with Flash. There's been vulnerabilities in Flash. For whatever reasons, the bad guys have been jumping on these Flash vulnerabilities very quickly and been quick to exploit them. So that meant that people's uh, users staying current with the latest version of Flash was important. The problem is that there wasn't a mechanism in the plug-in model for notifying people when a newer version of Flash was available. So the browser, that is the container of the plug-in, decided, okay, we're going to start taking some responsibility for this. What they discovered when they launched a an update to both the the version 3.0 and the 3.5 browsers is that more than half of users of Firefox were running an obsolete, ins- known insecure version that was n- that was known to have active exploits being pursued against it. So they thought, wow, uh, this is a, a big deal. So they've decided, Mozilla has, to broaden their attack on being responsible for the things that they're running as plugins. Now, right now, there is a page at Mozilla.com that all of our listeners can go and try. Um, I've heard that it's working, but it didn't work for me. I Well, first thing, I had to turn no script on. I had to allow Mozilla.org in or, or .com to, to function. But it's Mozilla.com slash Plugin check, all one word, P L U G I N C H E C K. And the page came up for me, but it said it had a problem and asked me to try back later. And it's, it's been doing that now for the last day. So I don't know what's going on. This is me running Firefox. I can't remember if I'm at 3.5 on this main machine of mine or still on 3.0. I might still be on 3.0. Point zero point thirteen, I think, is the this where we left off on the version three three um, train, but Mozilla.com slash plugin check. Right now, they're doing this as a you go to that page, and that page with scripting will interact with your version of Firefox, knowing what the latest versions of. I think they're like at fifteen or sixteen different plugins they're checking now. And they're going to be expanding that in the future. And so the way they're doing it now is you go to that page. Slated for version 3.6, which I believe is due out next month, that is to say November 2009, slated for that version, that version will have this functionality integrated into it so that you will be shown on on pages which use insecure or down version plugins that that's the case somehow they will have a way of notifying users on the page that whoops this page is using a plugin for which there is a newer version so so that'll be moved into the browser for the moment you can go to mozilla.com slash plugin check and check the versions of the um of all your plugins yeah, it's working for me and, and furthermore <laughs> uh it did a really cool thing um, I, did, I don't know if we talked about this last week, but when I uh, ran it, it said, uh, oh, the Microsoft.NET framework is unsafe. Uh, We're removing... Remember, we talked about a couple of months ago about yes, this, and, well, this plugin. The, yeah, wh- what was annoying people was that Microsoft had disabled the remove button right. so that it was uh, you could not remove it. And that was after surreptitiously sliding it in and out, not letting anyone know that, that it had happened. And yes, that's another item of news. I'm glad you brought it up is that Mozilla has decided they're going to disable it because it has known insecurities and they don't want it running in their browser. Disable it. And the interesting thing is with the uh, assent and approval of Microsoft, because Microsoft yes. put out a security bulletin saying, you know, we've got a problem here. 
Yep. And uh, so, so uh, you know, I was very pleased. This is the second time now with the new Mozilla 3.5 that I've, I've run it. The first time was after upgrading to Snow Leopard, and it said, this is bad. This flash is out of date and dangerous. It gave me a new one. And then just the other day, I, I launched Mozilla, and it says, hey, just so you know, we've disabled two Microsoft plugins because there's a severe exploit with these plugins. I think that's exactly, I mean, the browser is the first line of defense. Yes, yeah, exactly. It is becoming, and this is really what we're going to talk about today, it, it is becoming the new paradigm for the desktop with yeah. this whole notion of, of you know, web-based apps, data in the cloud, and the idea that you could, for example, go to any machine and, and, and log into Gmail, and there is a, a good working, you know, mail client running within a browser where the browser is the container. And, and so you're right. It's a little bit like the browser is becoming the operating system, and these are apps running in the operating system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's got to fix it. This is kind of ties into our subject of the day, actually. Yeah, it really does yeah. perfectly. Yeah. So um, I, the, another little blurb uh, popped up on my radar. Um, we didn't have a ton of security news, except that uh, I, I thought our listeners would be interested in knowing there was an article both in USA Today and PC World covered a story that the the scareware uh, industry is becoming more aggressive now. There's a a product which or a product a, <laughs> a badware which is calling itself Total Security 2009, and if you do something to get this onto your system by mistake, it now locks out every other application on your machine except Internet Explorer. So this is a Windows-based malware. And no matter what you try to do, if you try to do anything else, you get a pop-up with sort of a fake security scan telling you that your system is infected yeah. with with viruses and malware and Trojans and scary things. And then the only thing it allows you to do is to use IE to go to a site and purchase this thing for seventy nine ninety five. dollars <laughs> When you purchase it for seven, oh, and then there's an extra $19 like download insurance or something. Oh. It's like, oh my goodness. But now... Are you purchasing something really valuable, or are you purchasing you're purchase- a spyware? Uh- you're basically you are succumbing to extortion. You, you've already got no. Oh, this I is see. just to it's get the fix. money. Okay. Yes, it is just to get money. So, so it's a legitimate fix for a problem they caused. They well, uh, yes. Although it stays on your system, oh, so it doesn't please. even. It's re- not even a good it fix. Doesn't, it doesn't even remove itself. So it, but so the idea is that it locks you out from doing anything else you can't run anti-spyware programs you really? can't do i mean yeah the only thing it lets you run is ie for the purpose of purchasing it wow. you get you get it then gives you if your credit card transaction goes through for 79.95 then you get an unlock code which you can give it which you know basically you've succumbed to the extortion and then you can run other programs. What do they so, call this virus? It's called Total Security 2009. Total insecurity. <laughs> Total nightmare. Yeah, and so it's interesting. So is this related to the antivirus 2009 problem earlier? It's it's it's, it's the same genre, and and we're seeing more of this. It's sort of a it's using social, um, you know, social engineering to. To convince people to some degree, I mean, apparently it says you, you it's not safe to use anything on your machine. So we're not going to let you do that. You have to buy this. And so there, unfortunately, there is a cross-section of users in the PC community who, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've talked to friends who, you know, non-computer savvy friends who say, yeah, I get this pop-up that says, you know, it's like scan my computer and I have viruses. Like, oh no, 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 no. Well, that really That's, is a that is blackmail. That is, it is it's extortion. You can't run any program until you pay them their eighty bucks. Yep. Or yep. nineteen ninety five for the premium support <laughs> services. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that is 
so now do you block you prevent yourself from getting it in the same way that you would any other virus or spyware this is yes yeah. it, i mean um i'm sure that you know uh, that the good anti-malware tools will quickly come up to speed they'll hopefully see this you know coming in block it from your computer you know let you, you know you know prevent you from getting this in the first place but if you get yourself infected somehow this is what it does right. basically it's pay us 80 dollars and until you do, you cannot use your computer. Wow. So watch out for that one. And if, if our listeners, I mean, our listeners are probably savvy enough not to fall into this trap. But, you know, they may have family and friends that are not listening to this podcast. So, right. Uh, well, I know no. I'll get calls on the radio show. Oh, I'll be hearing about that one. Total Security yeah. 2009. Is um, anything but. They, they, many of my listeners got bit by the antivirus 2009. So this right. is just, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly it's the the same genre, and it's yeah. interesting though that it's, it's again it's sort of, I mean, it's not using any social engineering that any of us, any of Security Now listeners would fall for, but it's just confusing enough that it raises that doubt. It's not just bringing up a big skull and crossbones and saying ha ha ha, right. you must pay. Right. You know, no, it's like no. oh, we're trying to help you. We're going to help you get these bad things off your computer. So. Yeah, thanks. So our our good friend Bruce Schneier, who I refer to often as security guru and cryptographer, um, had an interesting blog posting on uh, October 19th, 2009, which was a reaction to the mega patch Tuesday that we talked about last Tuesday. Um, I mean, we, we talked about in our uh, last week's podcast because it was just the, pro the previous Tuesday, which as we know is the biggest patch event in Microsoft's history. It's the, the largest number of fixes in one one-month period. And Bruce, Bruce coined a, a term that I liked in his, pod, uh, in, in his blog posting. He called this the patch treadmill. And there were two paragraphs that I wanted to, to, to quote from, from Bruce's blog posting because I thought they were really apropos. He said... Patching is essentially an impossible problem. A patch needs to be incredibly well tested. It has to work without tweaking on every configuration of the software out there. And for security reasons, it needs to be pushed out to users within days or hours if possible. These two requirements are mutually contradictory. You can't have a piece of software that is both well tested and quickly written yep. which i thought you know is 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 i mean it's 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 exactly right you know i i grumble at microsoft taking longer than it seems that they should for when a known problem is hanging out there flapping in the breeze being exploited and we're complaining that that you know there's no fix for it yet week after week after week yet you know, look at the at the at the spread of platforms they have and the possibility of side effects. Yeah. And so the second quote from Bruce's blog posting, he says, the real lesson is that the patch treadmill doesn't work and it hasn't for years. This cycle of finding security holes and rushing to patch them before the bad guys exploit those vulnerabilities is expensive, inefficient, and incomplete. We need to design security into our systems right from the beginning. This is something we're, we, well, that we're going to be talking about in the show's content here coming up because, I mean, this is, this is key to the problem we have today. So Bruce says we need to design security into our systems right from the beginning. We need assurance. We need security engineers involved in systems design this process won't prevent every vulnerability but it's much more secure and cheaper than the patch treadmill we're all on right now hmm interesting so you know from from his standpoint he he sees what what we experience from the outside which right. is is that that security is still not being baked in. Security is an afterthought. You're saying measured twice, cut once. 
Do well, it right yes. first. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, and, and I've, I've talked often about how, why it is fundamentally difficult to do security. It, it's the weakest link in the chain model. When I, I used this analogy just last week where, you know, if you have a chain of, of links, every single one of them must be strong because it just takes one of those to, 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 to be a problem and that creates an exploitation. Yeah. Whereas, whereas you know, the chain works, and and most people stop as soon as the the chain is a chain. As soon as everything you know, you pull one end and the other end moves along. It's like, oh look, our program is running. The system works, and it's time to ship it because you know they're always under the gun and and late. But that doesn't mean that it's going to work when it's being challenged by somebody actively who actively being bad and and that really it, it's a different it's a different way of looking at it and as and as bruce says it's it requires that security be taken to a to a level of of seriousness i mean baked in that that still doesn't exist you know today it's just not the way we're doing things yeah. Well, so, you, you got all sorts of issues with, uh, you know, legacy compatibility, which is inherently, um, you know, uh, not you know a problem. It, it's not going to. It's going to keep you from doing the right thing in terms of security. And yep, that's that's a very good point. You're you almost have to start from scratch, right? You're, you're often making compromises because you you can't. And this is what been. I mean, really, Microsoft's claim to fame has been upward compatibility right. or backward compatibility as they're moving forward they're still keeping all this old stuff alive and even even to the fact where for example with windows 7 which is being released what is it tomorrow yep as we're recording this yep. um today uh, as we as the show comes out yeah so we're, today as the we're show doing a big out, party tomorrow yeah yeah windows 7 is being released and controversially they've dropped some compatibility with the past so they're having to put a virtual machine in in order to run a, you know an older version of windows for things that that require you know what it's windows xp right that that they're they're having to allow you to run in windows 7 in yes. a vm yeah so so you condemn i mean it's 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 you know and 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 people of course complain like there's no tomorrow if their particular widget is not compatible with some future version of Windows. It's because, you know, because like, often it's like, wait a minute, we don't have the source code anymore. We can't recompile it for the new version. You know, that's gone. We, you know, we, we need it to be compatible. So, I mean, it really is a challenge. So, some interesting errata. I wanted to note that PayPal has fixed the bug that I discovered in, and, and other of our listeners have since confirmed in their eBay payment system. Remember that I called it the dongle bypass. Yeah, bug, right. Where if you were if you were paying for something in eBay and you went to PayPal to do that, you would give it your your regular credential. You give it the password that matches your email address. Then it would prompt you for your dongle information. And what I discovered purely by mistake was if you instead of giving it you hit the back button, it takes you back to that login that you had just left, but with you logged in this time. It's not even, it's, it's grayed out. You're not even able to put the, 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 that data in again. And it says you're already logged in, click below to proceed. So when you click that, it jumps you over the whole dongle uh, question and you're right in without using your, um, uh, your multi-factor authentication device. So, it was a. It was like sometime last week that I was, you know, uh, purchasing some old, some vintage computer stuff on again. eBay. We got to cut you off. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I, the problem is I've got searches now that are, you know, I have my little search spiders out on eBay, oh boy. and every morning it's like, oh, look who we found There's for you. New like, stuff. Oh, most people are buying new gear, Steve. I have to have one of those. <laughs> most people say, oh, there's new Macs out. They're not saying, oh, they're saying Windows 7. They're not saying, oh, look, here's something 30 years old. Well, as a matter of fact, what I purchased was the original source code listing for the Tico editor in PDP-8 source code. Because there's no better way to learn a language like PDP-8 assembly language. Interesting. Than to read 
what an expert in that language has done. I mean, I could, over time, if I like was coding a ton, I would end up developing some of my own tricks and approaches. But an expert coder um, already knows that. And so I, when I saw that this listing was made available, I was like, oh, I would love to read that. Now, who made it available? Was it the uh, the guy who wrote it? Or? It, it was just, it was a copy that was, in fact, the, Somebody just had, pers- huh? the person selling it knew the, he himself printed it out in the basement of Georgia Tech on a <laughs> chain printer or something. And, and then it was interesting because I had some correspondence with this person's wife who explained to me that because we were negotiating the shipping costs because I said, I'm not in a big hurry to get it. It's, you know, it's, it's been sitting on a shelf for 30 years. I don't mind if, the, if we use snail mail. To well, get it and to how me. big is it? Um, it was about, from the picture, it looked like it was about uh, two inches thick wow. listing and um and so uh anyway she said that she had received after the auction closed she received email from a museum asking whether the purchaser that is in this case me would be willing to donate it to the museum <laughs> no <laughs> and so well after i've read it you know, I mean, oh, maybe, I really, yeah, sure, why not? I'm not going to key it in, so, right. you know, so, you know, I don't need to have it forever, but and I certainly don't want it to wind up in a dumpster and being landfill, so, you know, so, so I wrote back, I said, yeah, so she gave me all the museum contact information, and I'll, I'll put a note, <laughs> sticky note on the, on the listing, and, you know, they, they can have it when I'm through reading it. That's fantastic. So I thought that was a kick, and yeah. I did want to note, uh, you probably saw, the Kindle price has dropped. Yes, I did Down- see that. Two fifty nine, and they added an international radio into it. Yes, and so, Barnes and Noble is selling one. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, news. Yes, yeah. Barnes and Noble. They they called theirs the Nook. Yeah, it's like okay, I guess that's instead of book, it's Nook. What you don't, so, what you really don't want to say is the Nook ebook reader because <laughs> the Nook ebook reader. No. That's not good. <laughs> and it's a wacky thing. Uh, it's got a dual. The Barnes and Noble has a dual screen. The upper portion is our standard. Uh, e-ink display that everybody's pretty much using, Sony and and all the Kindles, and now Barnes & Noble. But then they've got a lower color LCD, which is a touch screen. And so it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. So that, so And they say, like, you don't know, display your photos and things. So you can, it's sort of so supposed to be sort of a dual purpose, I guess. Um, and uh, Best Buy and Verizon are getting into the business. Um, IREX, a spinoff from Philips, has announced uh, Plastic Logic will have theirs shown at CES, where I think you're going to be this year, aren't you? Yes, we're going to cover the show, yeah. So if you have a chance, it'd be interesting to see what you think of their reader. Oh, we will. Don't worry. That's for sure. Yeah. And then uh, you should come out, be part of it. I'll think about that. that. That would be fun. I mean, there's no Comdex anymore. This is the closest thing we've got to a gathering of the tribe. It's it's definitely that. And um, I wanted to ask you, Leo, um, Audible being a sponsor of ours, I'm getting ready to try walking on the wild side. Not audiobooks. I am. (laughs) My God, Steve, be still my heart. (laughs) Well, because I have to read a couple books that are not available on the Kindle. I'm actually going to actually I'm going to reread one of Bruce Schneier's books, okay. Practical Cryptography. I have that. It's a great book. Yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. book, and I'm just I'm going to read it cover to cover as I begin to get my sleeves rolled up and and to plow into CryptoLink. I thought oh, I'm just going to read it again just to sort of brush up, but that means that I can't be reading it on my stair climber because as as, mm-hmm. as I do now, where I'm reading Kindle book and I synchronize my Kindle DX, which is the large screen, which I have rubber banded to the stair climbers control head so i thought well okay i ought to try an audiobook when i'm on my stair when i'm on my stair climber so i wanted to ask you given no other consideration except convenience like remembering where you left off not losing where you left off um being able to back up a little bit easily and so forth what's what's the best device for reading well, you already have a Kindle. I mean, the Kindle will do it. You can just put them on the Kindle. 
Um, and that might be convenient because then you've got kind of got it both ways. I, you know, Amazon owns Audible. I really had hoped that by now they would have synced the two. So if you had the book on the Kindle and you had the audio book that you could like, it would highlight it as you're listening to it. And you or, could like have, wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice, but tricky because you'd have to have a control channel of some an sort. index. Yeah. Yeah. In the audio. Probably not going to happen. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but Audible does use a proprietary format that is designed to support those features, the bookmarking, the chaptering, and all of that stuff. So it's it's an MP3 wrapped in this AA format. And that's why not just any device supports it. You have to have a device that supports Audible. I, have to, I think, given what Apple's done uh, with the interface, an iPod Touch would probably be the best. For instance, they have visual scrubbing. So you could put your finger on, you're listening to the book, you can yeah. put your finger on a dot and scrub forward or backward, and the farther your finger is down the page, the slower the scrubbing is. So you have uh, a lot of granularity. Nice. They also have a 30-second rewind, and I find that the most useful with books because sometimes you're doing, you know, you're listening to a book and your attention wanders, you know, you, you, you got oh, pulled yeah, over yeah. or something, and then you just press the 30-second, 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 and it jumps back 30 seconds at a time. Uh, okay, and I happen to have, well, wouldn't you know it, a, uh, an iPod Touch. Oh, so that's perfect. perfect. Yeah, update it with the latest uh, the, the 3.0 software, which I think will cost you some money if you haven't updated it. Uh, like five bucks or something, and then I, think uh, I did when went when, when three oh three. Okay, but then you're yeah. then you're golden. That I think is the best experience. It's not great if you're running or something because you have to use the screen to control the book, right, or the music. But perfect on a treadmill or a bike, anywhere you could prop it in front of you, because then you have easy access to those controls. It's just the screen gives you more capabilities than just a you know a, a click wheel would. And I uh, I don't know. I haven't tried it on the Kindle, but I. Can't imagine it has much of an interface at all. Yeah, I mean that was my reaction when you when, when you mentioned because I know the Kindle, of course, does MP3 stuff, uh, and it and the Kindle is a is it's a, an Audible appliance. It's an Audible appliance. Yeah. Okay, yeah. as is the Zune, as is I mean pretty much yeah. everything. But Even I think the I iPod the is the best. You already have a Touch. You're go. You're good. Yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, and I do have a fun uh, and always different uh, spin ride story. This one was a. Uh, the subject was Spinrite 6 Saves My Bacon. Um, uh, a, a person wrote to us whose name is Ray, W-R-A-Y, Buck. And he said, I, I used earlier versions of Spinrite way back when a large PC hard drive was measured in megabytes rather than gigabytes. I lost track of my floppy with the program on it and Spinrite receded into dim memory. Then recently, one of my computers abruptly refused to boot looping unmercifully on the failed to boot, choose safe boot, normal boot, etc. Oh, I hate that. Uh, I finally slowed the boot down by getting into the BIOS edit enough to see a fleeting screen error, 1720 imminent hard drive failure mm. warning. The BIOS setup had a self-test that confirmed that my boot drive fails the test and recommended replacement. But I needed my data. The manufacturers and Microsoft's websites were not particularly helpful. I was not even able to boot from the WinXP install disk. Hmm. From the dim recesses of my memory, I knew I had at one time used software that would repair and or move data from bad locations to good. I googled my mind and came up with... <laughs> Oh, if only I could Google my mind. <laughs> I Googled my mind yeah. and came up with Gibson something. Gibson. On my remaining good computer, I Googled the internet for Gibson and found, again, Gibson Research and Spinrite. It didn't take me long to decide to purchase V6 and make a CD for the sick computer. Level 2 didn't find any problems, and there was no change in symptoms. So I just kept increasing the level of Spinrite and attempting reboot. Finally, at level five, we're at level five, um, an unrecovered sector appeared. After waiting for the process to complete, reboot finally opened Windows XP. I then had it do check disk, and it found some orphan segments and deleted some files from the table. But in any event... I now have hope of recovering nearly all the data and programs on that hard drive, and I have Spinrite to thank. That's a nice story. So it was a great story. That's and I a great story. Thank him for sending it to us.
So uh, we are going to talk about browser scripting. I guess we're kind of talk, a setup for Paul. We're, we're going to yeah, we're going to we're gonna, exactly set things up for 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 John in two weeks. We're going to talk about sort John, of yeah. the the problem with the way we're doing things today. Which is uh, so it's not just scripting. It's not just scripting. It's yeah. it's it's bigger than that. It's okay. for, you know like well. We'll 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 talk about it. Well, we'll talk about it in a moment. But first, <laughs> yes, let's let's not uh, give it all away. I want to talk a little bit about our friends at GoToMeeting. Those are the folks from Citrix. We talk about Citrix products all the time. GoToMeeting is the uh, is the online meeting service from Citrix. And how many times? Have, I mean, this happens to me, or would have happened to me all the time. You're on. A, in fact, it happens on the shows. We had a uh, a guest on Net at Night yesterday who had a really visual cool product called Woopra. Now, I didn't have it set up here. He wanted to show us. He wanted to show us how it works and everything. What leaped to mind? Go to meeting. It's very simple. We just said, okay, uh, we're going to start a go to meeting. We sent him. Now, we have go to meeting. He doesn't. No problem. We said, go to go to meeting.com. Click join a meeting. He did that. Here's the meeting ID we've started. He did that. And we said, now, we're both in this meeting. We'll give you control. We're watching your... Com- yes, isn't that cool? So you could be doing the presentation as the host, but so can your guest. And so he started showing us this incredible product. And I have to tell you, uh, real-time... This was a real-time product that shows real-time traffic on your website, so there's things going on. And it's like we were really watching his screen directly. Go to meeting is so fast and so visual. If you're on a conference call, a podcast, anything where you want to show something, whether it's a graph, a picture, a spreadsheet, PowerPoint presentation, go to meeting. People could see what you're talking about. You schedule in advance or do it as we did, just on the fly. Everybody sees your computer desktop on their computer screen. There's a, a sidebar. You can minimize it, but but normally there's a sidebar where you can chat. You could have... Uh, people ask questions. You could select people. I mean, it, it's so powerful for product demos, for training, for collaboration, of course, for sales. I want you to try it free right now. Go to gotomeeting.com slash security. Now we give you, give you a 30-day trial, unlimited use for 30 days. G-O-T-O meeting.com slash security now. Look, you might have tried the others. They're complicated. They're security nightmares. This is not, they're not fast. This is, you just have to try this. Go to meeting.com slash security now. We thank them for their support of the Security Now show. So, Steve, let's talk browser scripting. So, well, the whole web, the way the web is working. I was at Starbucks this morning when they opened at 5 a.m. And uh, they always ask me, you know, how my day is going, which I think is funny because, you know, it hasn't really yet. It's, you know, right. nobody else yes. is awake except the, the people that had to be there at Starbucks at 4.30 to get the store open for right. 5 um, and me, but I, I said, well, it's podcast day being Wednesday, um, when, when we record this and, um, uh, and the manager who's being shared between two stores. So he doesn't really know a lot, a lot about me because as, as much as I'm a regular there, he said, Oh, you know, what's the podcast about? And I told him it was about internet security related topics. Anyway, the gal who was busy stocking the carbohydrate bar that they have there, uh, said that, her computer had to be completely reset, uh, sc- scraped and scrubbed and reinstalled wow. because she went to a sewing site, a sewing website that she'd been going to for a long time and it infected her computer and it no longer worked and she lost everything. But, uh, you know, she guesses that's just sort of the way it goes. And, and, and <laughs> that's I, said, the, I think a lot of people are very fatalistic now about this stuff. It's like, yeah, what can you do? Well, and I mean, but it's, it strikes me as so sad yeah. that it's just like, oh, you just sort of shrug. I mean, you're right. It's, there is nothing they can do. It's, um, you know, most people who you who will fix a computer, they say, oh, well, you know, it's not worth our time trying to figure out what happened. We'll just reformat it, you know. You you do you have your you know your original install disks and and we'll just set it up for you again. So it, it's it's sad that people are fatalistic about it. And and I explained to her. I said, well, you know, it's not that the sewing site that you went to is evil at all. It's that they're not security experts. And unfortunately, to create a 
sophisticated website. I mean, who knows? I don't know the details of the site, but it probably has like online forums and you can join their community and you're, you're posting things. And I mean, all of this fancy next generation activity that is web-based, based on the browser and a remote server, I mean, it's what people want to do. We, we know pretty much it's the future, that we're moving to the cloud. We are moving to browser-based apps of one sort or another. We have, as we were talking about earlier in the show, plugins which facilitate much more rich experiences than than you're able to get back in the in, in the pre-interactive model. The problem is that that it is difficult to create a site. That is for amateurs to create a site. And in fact, there's a commercial running right now that I get a kick out of. In fact, it, it captures my attention so much. It's one of those where I don't know what it is they're advertising. But it, it, and there's a series of vignettes. And the, the one that captures my attention is a look. It looks like a store owner and his wife are because there's sort of a counter and customers in the background and they're in the foreground and he looks up from from a big 500 page book and he's flipping the pages and he says we're doing our own website <laughs> oh you know and wife is sort of Uh-oh. like rolling her eyes. <laughs> wife is rolling her eyes around kind of like shaking her head a little bit it's like oh my god Uh-oh. we have no idea what we're doing and he's flipping pages and you know he you know we're going to do it ourselves and it reminded me, and, th- and this topic reminds me, of the comment that my ex, uh, an ex-employee computer developer of mine in the, old, in the early days of Gibson Research said, and I've shared that before on the show, it's when Microsoft came down from Redmond, uh, the product manager, Nevit Basker, showed me the pre-release version 1.0 of Visual Basic. And here was this this toolkit. I mean, you know, Bill Budge on on Apple II created the pinball construction set where you just sort of dragged and drop elements of a pinball uh, arcade machine on the screen and it was alive. And it just blew everyone away when when he had created this like this pinball visual pinball editor. And essentially, that's what Microsoft did programming Windows. You, you had a palette of buttons and, you know, drop downs and list boxes and edit controls. And you just drag these things on to this empty Apple, you know, application window and set them up visually the way you wanted to. And then you went behind the, behind the window and wrote little scriptlets for each of the different controls and hooked them together that way. And before you know it, you had a running application. Anyway, so Millard, seeing this, you know, we were sort of, you know, we got the whole presentation from from the product manager. And, and I said, so what do you guys think about this? I think this is going to change everything. And he sort of had his head in his hands and he says, Oh, this, <laughs> this changes made, everything. Just like this, <laughs> adding font, giving people the chance to use fonts changed everything. Well, desktop <laughs> publishing. Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to control the colors? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he put his head in his hands. He says, this makes it way too easy yeah. for anyone to program. Yeah. And so really that's where we are right now with the state of the art in web stuff we i mean if you think about it we we really are still in the hacking stage we're inventing one language after another one acronym after another i mean it's it's you got php hooked to sql and then you've got ajax and you've got you know all of this stuff and there's no like right way to do it and then you mix that in with Pre-packaged open source things where you sort of grab this and and add it to your server and and glue it in and you know and meanwhile the husband's flipping through the pages trying to figure out you know okay how do we do commerce it's like oh my god um, 
you know, and is it any surprise that, that uh, again, we have to understand that bad guys ha- have, have an intention that is completely contrary to the rest of us. They're, they're looking for opportunity rather than, than what, what the creators are looking for success. They just want it to work. You know, the, the, the guy creating his first website is struggling to make it work. So once it sort of does, there's this huge temptation to publish it, to, you know, make it live. Oh, look. And then to check in every few minutes to see how, you know, if anyone has gone to the website yet. Do we know, do we have any, how many members do we have in our forum? And oh, look, the forum's working. It's like, yes, but, you know, doing this correctly, doing it securely is amazingly difficult. And so it's no surprise that, you know, the well-meaning sewing website put a bunch of this stuff together um, using toolkits or maybe some prepackaged, you know, design your own site. And before they knew it, some bad guy realized, oh, look, they've got an old version of WordPress that they're, that they're using. And we're able to exploit a known cross-site scripting vulnerability in that in order to inject a malicious script into the content such that when people who have some unpatched browsers um, come by, we'll be able to run our script on their browser and before you know it, Total Security 2009 has <laughs> installed on their machine. Happy Halloween. <laughs> I mean, this is how it happens. Yeah, And so... Now, you know, it, people are going to accuse you of elitism. They're going to say, well, yes, the programmers want to keep it to themselves. And, uh, but, there's, but there's a skill set here. Yes. It's, you know, d- um, doctors have to yeah. prove yeah, good point. That, that they know how to fix people or that they've, you know, that they've studied the bones of the body and they've put in their time mm-hmm. before they're allowed to touch you. And, and, and lawyers have to pass the bar. They've got to go through, I mean, and all, here I am across from UCI uh, hanging out at a Starbucks, which is set up like a library. We've talked about it before, how, you know, I've, I've spent days there uh, working on code and it's full of students. And I see the LSAT books and the MSAT books. And, and I've, I've, you know, we happen to have like a huge medical student community. So I listen to them quizzing each other with flashcards and all this and what they go through. And there's nothing like that for for any of this for computer programming for for you know for anything relating to something as crucial as the security associated with a website that is asking you for your credit card and your information mm-hmm. you we can we can assume and when lord knows we've beat this <laughs> to a pulp the the, the security of getting your data, your your credit card information to the server in a way that prevents it from being eavesdropped on with, you know, talking about SSL and and the browser model and all that as we have for the last, the prior two weeks. But now it's sitting on the server. Nothing, nothing regulates or requires or specifies how that's handled. And, and, you know, it's one of the reasons I didn't, I just didn't feel comfortable when I was creating GRC's e-commerce system to buy something off the shelf. First of all, I, you know, I wanted to write my own. I wanted the experience of it. But, I mean, I'm acutely aware of all of the different types of, types of things that can go wrong. And so, for example, the, I, I, I chose a, a database where nothing written on the hard drive is ever in the clear. That's absolutely secure. There is AES encryption. Actually, I think it's Blowfish. I think it's Bruce's encryption. Um, uh, that um, Bruce wrote uh, Blowfish. Um, wow. Uh, I hope I'm not wrong. I think he wrote. There's Blowfish and Two Fish, and I think Bruce wrote Blowfish. If if memory serves. Um, 
So yes, designed by Bruce Schneier as a drop-in replacement for DES or IDEA. Yeah, and it's a fantastic cipher, which has withstood the tests of time. I mean, it's 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 absolutely great. And I'm using you know large blocks and large keys and and doing everything right. And the you know the key is not on the disc. I went through all kinds of things because I wanted mine to work right. But right. you know, I went to tremendous lengths knowing how important it was to me and to our customers that their data be safe. And unfortunately, security is for, in most situations, an afterthought. And it's not, it's not something that we can afford to have as an afterthought. So, you know, I totally get what you mean, Leo, about, you know, the elitist approach. But at some point, this has to change. And, and frankly, I don't see how it's going to. Unless it's unfortunately like onerous regulations of some kind, where so you think this, a certification, like a, I mean, there are security certifications, aren't there? The, certainly, they uh, various sorts exist. Yeah. But then, how? What would the model be? How? I mean, so you, we have security certif- uh, certifications. So would it be that like? You can't. You're not allowed to write write yeah. secure software. No, I think the deal maybe is not that you're not allowed, but that if you're a certified security professional uh, or certified security coder, that there's a certification on your software, and uh, and that that may be somewhere publicly visible. You know, this is or, I don't know. You know, it's it's just setting up more bureaucracy, but it it is something we need. Well, and it's like, it's the other thing that I get, I get a kick out of. You go to these sites and they have that hacker safe seal on them. Yeah, that's like, bogus. That's exactly. Just, that's just a money making. <laughs> it means nothing yeah. about the security of. Well, of they the, te- I don't know. They test it somehow or something. But really, it's, it's basically, it's, it's my understanding that you're just buying, you buy this badge because it makes your users feel better. Well, or it might be like if if I were in the bogus security business, I would have shields up going out right. and testing people's websites. Right. I'd be doing port certified scans. by shields up. Yeah, exactly. And I'd have I have revenue stream that I don't have now. I could do it trivially, but I'm not going to because it doesn't mean anything to the user about the security of the server. I mean, about what happens to that data after it after it lands at the other end, and you know. Is there a way for bad guys to get in? We've talked about, you know, uh, uh, using SQL in in the background for the database and how it's possible to enumerate the the the, um, the field names in SQL through an insecure browser application and literally dump out the database and do this all remotely. I mean, these these are things that actually do happen. Yeah, and so so so. My sense is that we're still, you know, we're in the pioneering stage. We're in the, we're, we're hacking around with different solutions, yet the world didn't wait. The world said, oh, great, let's use this stuff, even though it's really not ready for, for prime time. And that there's, there's no control over, over, over how this system functions. It's like, oh, it works Let's make it public. Let's start taking credit card numbers. Let's start, you know, let's get going with commerce. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how this ever changes, but as you said, users are becoming now just abused. They're just, they, they've been beaten up and, and it's like, oh, well, you know, I went to the something on the internet and I got infected with Total Security 2009. Now I had to pay them seventy nine ninety five in order to get my computer back. Yeah. And it... it it does happen. Somebody in our chat was pointing out that the credit card industry does have such a security standard. It's called the PCI Security Standards. It's PCISecuritySTANDARDS.org. And they do, it's interesting. They do training for merchants and the general public on, on maintaining security. They, I mean, uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's not really for programmers, but it's, it's for anybody who takes online payments. Yeah, and unfortunately, it is virtually useless. Really? I, I, I have not talked about it before because the stories are sort of dry and boring, and I didn't know that anyone would really be interested, But although we are sort of on that topic today. But many of the instances of massive credit card loss are from PCI-certified oh, sites. Oh, well. 
you know, so I mean, it's one of those certificates. It's it's what you'd expect. It's a nice, it's another stamp or seal, but in practice, there's no enforcement behind it. It's run by the credit card companies themselves. Yeah, and in order to make people feel better better about it. Oh, well. Nice try. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bunch of bureaucracy, and it's like, oh, okay, so fine, so we have that. Thank you very much. It's, it might be a, a step in the right direction. but uh, It's beginning to be, and, I, and maybe it, it demonstrates some of the will. The problem is that, again, there's this disconnect. It's actually doing it is so difficult yeah. that in practice it doesn't, it doesn't get done. Yeah. So on that happy note... <laughs> We so will, much for that. <laughs> we will have a, a Q&A next week and then be joined, I'm presuming. Uh, if not, then we'll get John as soon as we can because I'm really interested to hear him, you know, not in overview mode, but right. in painful detail mode. Okay, here is what it means right. to to use JavaScript itself. Not generic scripting, but this specific language in detail because that's going to give us a much better sense for this. And if you want to get your question answered next week, go to grc.com. That's Steve site, Gibson Research Corporation, grc.com, slash feedback, and uh, leave a question for Steve. There's a great security forum there, too. John Graham Cumming and others are there uh, answering questions and uh, talking about these issues. Uh, Steve's got a lot of great stuff there, including the must-have security tool, Shields Up. Make sure your site is Shields Up certified. <laughs> no, see, it doesn't work. <laughs> Make sure it your just computer is at least. Yeah, at least your computer. Go to oh, on all sorts of great stuff, including of last but not least, Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Let's make sure Steve goes into retirement with uh, with a little bit of cash in his pocket. <laughs> because I'll be honest, Steve. Solid state drives are coming on strong, and you don't, you can't use spin right on them. I know. As a matter of fact, I have a, I purchased a um, 64 gig uh, single level cell SLC, the expensive kind, right? Uh, SSD cost me six hundred and fifty dollars. Was that an the Intel S- the X twenty five or? Uh, this was not. This was Transcend. Oh yeah, it's a brand that I like. Yep, um, and. Uh, I, I had I had coffee with my operations gal Sue, and I brought it with me. And I said, Sue, um, I want you to understand. This is why you're going to be hearing me doing a lot of work on crypto link. <laughs> you got to find the next product because I, mean, uh, I think within five years uh, you're not going to. Well, maybe not. I don't know. But it's just this stuff is coming on fast. It's a circuit board with chips. Yep. A- and we know what circuit boards with chips cost. Yep. They cost twelve dollars. Yep. You know, I mean, it's, that's all there is to it. And, you know, these things are so expensive now because they can get the money for it. They're recouping their investment. They're, they, you know, the hard drive market is so mature. You look at a hard drive that's like $50 and you think, how can they make this thing for $50? I mean, it's got moving parts and bearings and a gazillion little screws. It's got super smooth plated platters and heads that are flying low over the surface and, I mean, motors, it's unbelievable technology, and, and for $50. And then here I'm holding this circuit board that's got nothing on it that they're currently getting 650 for. But we know that that's going to be, you know, it's going to be nothing. In fact, the model's going to change, Leo. And in the future, laptops will be like iPods. There won't be like any kind of a hard drive removable thing. Because the connectors will be more expensive than the storage itself. So it'll just be, there'll be a processor integrated onto the, onto the motherboard. There'll be the various I.O. And there'll be X amount of non-volatile storage. It'll be 64, 128, 256, however many gigs you want to buy. It'll just be part of the unit, the way the memory is part of an iPod. And, and that's where we're headed. And I, I think we've got... Plenty of years left. Um, drives won't disappear overnight. Um, but yes, um, I'm definitely aware of the fact that, uh, you know, 20 years from now, I don't think Spinrite will, will be selling the way it was 20 years ago. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You, every, you have a second act. I do indeed. It's going to sure. be a good one. Yep. All right. 
Thank you, Steve Gibson. Uh, everybody should go to grc.com. Also, 16 kilobit versions there and uh, of the show. So for the shrunk down ones and the transcripts. Thanks to Elaine uh, for uh, people who like to read along as they as they listen. See, you do it. <laughs> the Kindle may not, but you do it. <laughs> We thank you all for being here, and we invite you to watch, if you want, live. We do this show every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 1800 UTC if you want to watch at live.twit.tv. And as I mentioned, we're moving towards offering video downloads of all our shows, plus putting them on platforms like the Roku Box, the Popcorn Player, the Palm Pre, the iPhone, um, just everywhere. Every, the idea is if you want Twit and you've got a device of some kind, whether it's a big screen or a portable, you should be able to get Twit uh, with a click of the button or a touch of the fingertip. So uh, watch for more details on that at uh, our regular site, twit.tv. We're actually moving uh, very quickly to put video up on that site so you can start watching right there. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Leo. We'll talk to you next week for Q&A and then onward into the future. Security now.